Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. We're looking at uh, our series. Let's go back to our series on in, in the book of Philippians, and this week we're going, it's called Uncommon. This week we're going to look at Uncommon Attitude, okay, and an Uncommon Attitude. Uh, to introduce uh, that idea to you, what we'll look at, I want to tell you a story about a gentleman named Eugene Lang. A number of years ago, uh, he's, a, he's a multimillionaire, and a number of years ago, he was teaching a sixth grade class in East Harlem. And if you, if you don't know, that's a very um, impoverished uh, part of New York City, and the building itself was uh, uh, ransacked. It, 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 was, uh, it was condemned, all but condemned. And, and the point of saying that is not the status of the building so much as the status of the souls of the kids. They were at least as bad as the condition of the building. And as um, he was teaching, he started to realize that if uh, statist- the statistics of, of this group of people were pretty dismal. And, and in, in three years, the probabilities were quite high that very many of them, maybe even most of them, would have uh, dropped out of what would be high school and probably involved in illegal activities like dealing drugs or turning tricks or doing something wrong, uh, many of them would end up in jail, and it would be, even the odds of them even living to 20 years old would be unusual, right? So if, if history were their destiny, they didn't have much of a chance. And in the middle of his lecture, he was like, all the, you know, all those probabilities kind of welled up inside of him, and it broke his heart. And then he, he, did, he put his notes down, and he just said, stay in school, <laughs> He just said, stay in school, stay in school. If you stay in school, I will pay the tuition for anyone who goes to college in here. And then everything changed. 90% of the people in that school graduated from high school and went to college. Here's what one of the students said. He said, I had something to look forward to, something waiting for me. It was a golden feeling I'd never had It was hope. It was hope. Hope, it can pick you up. It can, it can, hope can give you courage. Hope can have you like live your life. And when we're looking at our passage this week, we're going to look at Paul's making a transition from his earlier chapters, chapters one and two, and most of three. And now he's going to answer this question, you know, so what? And he's not going to just answer, you know, how to live a godly life, you know, a life that honors God, but he's going to answer the bigger question, why? I mean, why even bother? And he's going to say this. He's going to say, look up. He's going to look up. He's, just, he's going to say, hope. Hope. If, if he were, in our analogy, he would say, you know, not stay in school, stay in school. He'd say, stay holy. It'll, it'll be worth it. Your tuition's paid for. You're going to love the graduation ceremony. It is going to be awesome. Look up. Find that hope. Set your hearts on things above. Set your mind on things above. You have to have an uncommon attitude about the way you perceive life and, and all of reality and what, what's going to motivate you, motivate you. Excuse me. Now, let me remind you, uh, because it's going to show up again, uh, 
Philippi is a Roman colony, and it's a military outpost for the Romans. And so in this book, it's saturated uh, with some military uh, vocabulary. And it's, sometimes it's hard to notice that in the English translation, but when you get into the, the commentaries, they'll, every once in a while he'll break off, and you can tell he's talking to a military town, right, like San Antonio or, uh, or um, one of the forts, Fort Bragg or something. And he does that a lot here. And so since he, Paul knows his audience and he's speaking military speak to them. I'll be doing the same, trying to show you the way he's speaking to them. And the idea here is, is Paul is trying to motivate them like maybe even a drill sergeant. These, all these people that he's writing understand how the military works, and he's going to say, listen, th- this is how I'm going to give you hope. Here's how I'm going to keep you moving. And the first thing he's going to say is attitude is everything. He's going to give us like four things. And first thing he's going to say is attitude is everything. Look at verse 15 of chapter 3. It's on the screens. It says, all of us then, all of us are in this together who are mature should have this same attitude. Okay, what's the attitude? We have to go back a couple. This is the attitude. This is the uncommon attitude we're supposed to have. This one thing I do, verse 13, forgetting what uh, was behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on. Remember, that was a violent term. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenly in Christ Jesus. Only let us live up to this, okay? Let us live up to this, what we have already obtained. So verse 13 is the uncommon attitude. And this is, and atti- listen, attitude is everything. And, this, and here's what it is. It's like forgetting what lies behind. I'm straining forward to what's ahead of me. I'm striving for that to receive this prize, to receive this prize. Now, attitude is everything because it is, it is through the way we think that we're transformed. Right? Don't be, verse uh, chapter 12 of Romans, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's, in, it's your attitudes in your mind. I can't tell you how many special forces uh, graduates I've interviewed over, I don't know, how many years? And I usually ask them, I mean, it's just the training part itself. It's so, it's so desperately physical. And every single one of them has said, Certainly, there are some physical aspects to training, especially in special forces, but more than half, even most of it, is in your mind. It's all about attitude. It's this uncommon attitude. And, and, and what the first part of his uncommon attitude is forgetting what lies behind. It's, it's no, in other words, if he's a sergeant, he's saying there's no looking back when running ahead. You can't run forward with you're always looking back. So he doesn't care. What, what, what your trophies were or what your scars are. Remember, Paul made a list of some really righteous things that he did, but he left those behind. He didn't care because what defines you is not what's behind you. What defines you is what is in front of you. What defines you is, is, is not the bad you've done or the great success you might have experienced. It's where you're facing and I mean, again, even in the context of the military, when you come in, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, if you've had great success or, or tremendous failure. When <laughs> Early on, after you raise your right hand, after you're sworn in, then they shave your head. doesn't matter if you were bald or had long flowing locks. doesn't matter how you dress because they give you a uniform that looks like everybody else because they want you to do this. Forget what lies behind and strive towards what's ahead. You're forgetting what lies behind. He says, look, look up, look up, look up. It's simple, you know. But you have to make your heavenly-mindedness an obsession. You, you need to make your, your, you need to be compulsive about your, the way you're looking forward 
to Christ. I'll fill that in with more details, but you're supposed to be Christ-minded, right? Because if, if you're not looking forward, if, you're not, if you don't have this uncommon attitude about leaving behind everything and striving for what's going on and looking forward to this prize that Christ has for you, what happens in your faith, and if, if this is happening now, this, here's why. You don't have this uncommon value. It, it, your faith will stall. It just kind of plateaus. It, uh, it, it gets boring. So quite often people get bitter because things aren't working out that way. The reason people have fear and they can't step into the next section of life, they can't transcend the, the, the thing that they need faith to get over is because they don't have an uncommon, they don't have this uncommon attitude of probably leaving behind all these things, shedding that and striving, looking ahead, looking at this, this prize, looking at the prize. And, and if you look carefully in this passage and others, it's, about, it's not just about heaven, because heaven isn't about a, a, a crown or you know, a, some kind of reward. It is a, the prize of heaven, and heaven's not, it's not about the location. It is about the person. The, the thing you're looking forward to and the thing you're longing for is to be with. It is to be with Christ. Okay, and so we see, we can see the pattern of looking forward, not behind, and, look, and, and enduring suffering, even in the life of Jesus in Hebrews 12. It says, look, Jesus, look at the way Jesus was able to fixate on this, this uncommon attitude, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross and scorned its shame, and, and, and because of that, he was able to sit down at the right hand of the Father to the throne of God to be with. And so he says this. Okay, consider Jesus who endured such opposition from sinful men so that, you will not, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. How do you keep from growing weary and losing heart? Focus. Look up. You have to have this uncommon attitude, and attitude's everything, where, where you're looking at the end, leaving behind, straining for that prize. And at the very end of the verse that we've already looked at, it said that you have already obtained. You, you already have this. In other words, okay, know this, make no mistake about this, that in God's economy, you've already attained righteousness. You've you've. You are already his child. You already have access and a pass key to heaven. Now, knowing that with great confidence, he's telling you to, to go, to go. And, and run, I guess, I guess you would say, recklessly, freely, confidently, because this we know we have already obtained. So here's the uncommon attitude, okay, that we, that we leave behind. Those things that are be. Be, you know, that are part of our history because they don't define us. Striving ahead, striving, right? So that we can, third, is gain that prize. Now, Paul, classic military, we do this together. Nobody does this alone. So verse 17, he says, here's how to do this. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, just as, uh, just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Join together. There's no, there's no lone rangers in the Christian life. There's no, actually, the lone ranger wasn't alone, right? I mean, even that is a contradiction. He had Tonto. And there's, there's, 
So this idea that, that you can go through life by yourself and, and have a life with Christ is impossible. Let us join together, following me as an example. So if you can just en- envision, you've seen, some of you have been in the military, but many of us just watch it on TV. We see a platoon running down a beach or up a hill. They are in a unit together. Right? There's a pace setter. Paul says, you can w- follow my example. I'll be the pace setter. No one gets left behind. This is such a simple application. You know, the, the Christian life is best looked at like this. Right? You have someone in front of you. You have some guys you know, on each side of you, and you have some people behind you. You, you look for a, a, a band of brothers to go through life with. You are purposeful in seeking that out. So many ministries at this church are designed for that very purpose, to get connected to other people that are going through this, that are trying to do this the right way. They're going to try to run all the way to the finish line. And in the context of that, you look for somebody to set a pace for you. He says this, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. And so we look for people to do that. (laughs) Friends, my life has been, for the most part, a pretty blessed experience, and primarily because of, of, I don't know, what is it, Wendy's? Don't they have that dollar meal plan? And I I have taken advantage of that dollar meal plan by asking people to lunch that I think are pace setters for me. And I, I figured so much longer ago, if I can find people that are like me in temperament, maybe even in occupation, but experiences in the past, and I can buy them all they can eat at a Wendy's and spend like $7, I can save thousands of dollars in stupid. They can now, not to be selfish, okay, not to be selfish, I want to do that for someone else. Okay, so you have people running in front of you to set a pace. You have guys running along the side of you to go through life with, and then you're, you're setting the pace for someone else as well. You're going to Wendy's and having to eat that food and let them pay for it. That's how you go through life. That's what he says, this uncommon attitude with this band of brothers, he says, you have this uncommon attitude about looking forward, looking up, and you're doing it together. And then finally, in this section right here, this is what he's telling us to look up towards. Okay, this is what he's saying. He's saying, look up to the finish line. Before he tells us what to look to, he's going to tell us what not to look to. Okay, he's going to say, don't be like this, be like this. Verse 18. So he says, for as often as I told you before, now I tell you again, now with tears, because so many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And here's, here's their fate. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. And so he's just saying, look, this is, this is the way the common world lives their life right here. Because they're not looking up. Because they don't have a value for the eternal. Remember I told you, just be compulsive about having heaven on your mind, being heavenly minded. But the he, he's, actually, he's actually talking about their Roman pride, and he's, and he's essentially taking off on the, our figure of speech that says, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Paul's saying, really? Because the Romans don't believe in eternity like we do. And so what, they're going to spend all their time and all their money just to be physically or emotionally happy. That's all. 
And they have a consequence for, for that. They're going to have a serious price to pay. But here's what Paul's is sent, ultimately saying. He's saying, you don't pay the price for following Christ. Okay, there's a lot of, okay, you don't pay the price for following Christ. You pay a price for following the culture. There's costs, no doubt, associated with following Jesus Christ and being holy. Okay, if, if there, there are. What he's saying and what is always said in the Bible is those costs are investments and the return is spectacular. He's saying this other group over here, the, the, Roman, the Roman pride, it, they are missing it because, because they think they have everything as a Roman colony. And Paul's coming back and saying, no, 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 no. When you go to Jesus, you're, you, whatever you have, you're trading up when you leave that behind. And in particular, Paul's going to say, we have a better place than Philippi, than Rome. We have a, a, a better person and we have a better promise, okay? Everything is an upgrade. When you leave everything behind, all you get is an upgrade because you don't pay the price for following Christ. You pay the price for following the culture. Okay? There's costs, a lot of them, that are associated with being holy. But they all have a return, and the return is spectacular. That's what Paul's saying now in verse 20 and 21. Look what he says. He says, for our citizenship is in heaven. Okay, he's taking advantage of their pride for citizenship being in Rome. Our citizenship's in heaven, okay? And we eagerly await a better person. We await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under control, he will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. Wow, that is so dense. When, he t- when we talk about looking up, when we talk about hope, there are three things that he tells us to be looking for here. Again, he's taking advantage of their Roman citizenship and their pride in that, and he's saying, look, we have a better place, we have a better king, and we have a better promise. The, the, the place here, he's talking about we are citizens in heaven. They were proud about being citizens of Rome, and when you, when you were citizens of Rome, you kind of did three things. You got the th- three things. One, you were, you were a loyal subject to Caesar, the emperor. You had legal status. You had a registered citizenship. When you were born, your name was written in this fancy book. Okay? And then ultimately, Philippi was an extension of Rome itself. Paul's saying, awesome, let me tell you what we get. We're citizens in heaven. We serve a better emperor. In the next uh, chapter, he's going to say, our names are written in a very special book in blood. And we, yeah, we're, on an, we're in an outpost too. We're an outpost of heaven. That's what every church, every local church is like an embassy. And we're, we're, we're ambassadors there. We have entire, the point is, when in Rome, do as the Romans, we can't do that. We can't be like the Romans at all because their fate is destruction. We have entirely different values because we're from a different place. Let me give you an example. There's a, a rather famous story from a pastor um, in England uh, during the, the, the sinking of the Titanic, and he tells a story of, of one of the ladies there that was actually, the, the Titanic had hit the iceberg, and it was already starting to list, and she had a place uh, on one of the rescue boats, right? And she was sitting in that, and then, she, and then it dawned on her that death was hovering, 
and she forgot something right in, in her quarters. And so she begs uh, the skipper to let her leave for just, she's giving me three minutes and you can leave without me if I'm not back. And so she gets out and she gets on the deck and slides. It's already starting at, at a steep angle and she slides down there and then goes through the casino. And it, it's been said that there was money like ankle deep in this casino because everybody just ran for the rescue ships. She ran past that then into her room and then knocked over a whole case filled with jewelry, real jewelry, diamonds, right? So that she could grab three oranges and then ran back and made it back to the boat. And here's what the pastor wrote. Death boarded the Titanic. One blast of its awful breath had transformed all of the values. Instantaneously, priceless things became worthless and worthless things became priceless. In that moment of life or death, she preferred oranges to diamonds. We are orange grabbers. We know the real value of stuff. It won't last. The whole planet is sinking. We, we don't need to care much for it or about it in, in the context of eternal values. Okay? Our citizenship is in heaven. And he's saying, look up, look up. You're from a better place. And then he says this, we have a better person to serve. Our citizenship's in heaven. And then he goes on to say, for we eagerly await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, um, this is an interesting, I'm pausing because this is a very interesting, um, kind of a unique way that Paul is uh, titling Jesus Christ because he rarely puts all four of these together, Savior, the Lord, Jesus Christ. And what he's he's trying to emphasize here that we have a, a better person to serve. And so he says, uh, Christ is a title. That means Messiah, the promised one. But he puts, in addition to that, the Lord uh, and Savior. And Caesar, here's what, Caesar would make the people that were underneath him call him Savior or Lord when they needed him. And whenever there was an earthquake or a flood or something like that, and he would send relief to them or even uh, to protect them with soldiers... He made the people call him Lord and Savior. So a lot of scholars will say that, you know, this is pulling rank on the best Rome has to offer. What's the best they have to offer, right? Caesar. And you call him Lord and Savior. This is the promised one that we serve. And if you read the passages in the Bible, you'll see that this is the picture that's given. Then in a single hand that's pierced with a nail scar, Jesus scoops up and routes up his enemies. He makes a spectacle of them and travels with them in tow behind a victorious chariot line, right? Bruised and chained and humiliated those who opposed him. This is everyone in every time that have, that have rejected God. This is a better king. We have a better place. We're from heaven. This is a better uh, leader, a better king. And then finally, the last thing we're looking up, right? We're looking up. This is what we get. This is a better promise. Watch how the whole passage rolls out again. We'll start with verse 20. Look how he's talking about a place, a person, and a promise. Verse 20, for our citizenship's in heaven. We eagerly wait a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, look at, the, look at this promise, by the power of 
that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies into glorious bodies. This is the promise. He's saying, look up, look up. This is the promise of the resurrected body. It's, it, it is always part of what we long for when you read about hope. As a matter of fact, Paul spent some time saying, well, if there is no resurrection of the body, he says that in first, if there's no resurrection of the body, he says, well, why don't we just eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we're going to be dead. If, if this body does not get resurrected and get made better, then why, why do anything for God, right? Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow him. Why? What difference does that make? Why would you give sacrificially to your church? Why would you serve others in a way that would show that you're caring for them? Anything, any inconvenience, any expense, any trial, any risk, any act of faith doesn't make any sense if there's no resurrection, if you don't get better. And, but what does the Bible says? The Bible says that he rewards those who are eagerly seeking him and because there's a resurrection. There's a promise of a prize of great transformation. That's part of that looking up. We're looking up. We're seeing a better place. We're looking up. We're seeing a better king. We're looking up. We're seeing a better body. And this is difficult for us to imagine how spectacular our upgrade will be. I mean, if you could imagine just, um, if you could imagine talking to a caterpillar, I mean, a, I mean, a really smart caterpillar, okay? And you're trying to talk to them and you're saying, look, 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 I, I want to give you hope. You know, stay in school, you know, stay in school, little caterpillar, right? This fuzzy little earth worm-like thing, right? It's thousands of legs or whatever, a lot of legs, and it's just scrunching along and balling up and feeling its way through life. It's uh, earth-bound, right? Where's it going to go? And then you sit down, you have your talk with them. It's like, just look, 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 look. You got to climb this tree. Really, it'll be worth it. And you will attach yourself to a twig, and then you'll wrap yourself tightly in, in some, like a webbing, and you'll stay there, like, cooking, you know, and then, and then you'll have to fight for it, but it'll be worth it. Stay in school, right? Hope for this future thing, and you will break free. You will break free, and you won't be anything like you were. You'll have eyes. What are eyes? You, no, listen, you're going to have eyes, and you can see, but that's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm here to talk about your wings, and when your wings are spread humans will try to paint them. They will try to paint pictures in the beauty of your wings. There will be sculptures made in the shape of your wings. You will be a butterfly, and you will be free, and you will fly. So hope in this. Look up, look up, look up. It's worth it. It is, it is worth the work of your crawling and grasping and struggling and weaving and breaking free because you were born, you were meant to, you were designed to see and to sail the skies with your wings. That's hope. That's the hope of a transformed body. That's the hope of a bigger, greater promise than we could ever get. The hope is this that we are orange grabbers. We know the value of stuff. 
and we knock stuff over because we know things that are eternal matter more. We are caterpillars. We know that we, were tra- we will be transformed, that we were meant to be like Jesus the Christ. We are orange-grabbing caterpillars. Be encouraged, you know? That's what Paul is saying here. You know, we're, we're not like others. We're not like others. We're not supposed to fit in, okay, right? We're on maneuvers. We're in a foreign country. We're not from here. We're got, we have a mission to do. We need to complete it so we can get back. And if we don't have hope, if we don't have an uncommon attitude, if we're not looking up, then what happens to our faith? It stalls. Sometimes it becomes bored. Quite often we get bitter. We fall easily into temptations. We don't have anything to motivate us otherwise. We're supposed to be heavenly-minded, orange-grabbing caterpillars. That's what we're supposed to be looking up. Look up. You are free and holy, and you are free to be holy. That's what Paul's saying. And then he, here's, here's what I love about this passage, because he saves the most sentimental and the most powerful for last. Look at verse chapter 4, verse 1. Look what he says. He says, I love you. Stand firm. This is not the Paul that you think you know, okay? Look at, all, look at all the sentimentalism. Look at all the love and the passion. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you, you whom I love, you who I long for, you are my joy and my crown. Stand firm in the Lord in this, in this way, my beloved. So he ends with beloved. Look at the words. My brothers and sisters, whom I love, whom I long for, you're my joy and my crown. You're my beloved. This is great parenting. This is great coaching. This is great school teaching. This is great sergeanting or whatever that, right? He's, he's, he's coaching the person, not the player. He's saying, I love you. I know what is best for you. What's the command? Stand firm. Stand firm. I love you. Look to the future. I love you. Look up. Look up. Look up. Look where you're going. Here's the thing. Here's the uncommon value. The future determines your identity, not your past, right? Destiny, not your history, has power. I mean, look at the Bible. Look at the people in the Bible. You have Rahab, who's a prostitute. You have Ruth, who's an outsider. shouldn't even be part of the family of God. Uh, Bathsheba, Right? She's an adulterer. These are, this is just the women's line of the family. They're all in the line of Jesus. Why? Because in God's economy, he, he looks at the future of a person, not the past. And that's why he says, look up, forget what lies behind, you know, struggle and fight for, press on to what lies ahead. It's that, that prize, and the prize is Jesus Christ. You are an orange-grabbing caterpillar. That's what you're supposed to, that's, Paul's cheering us on, saying, I love you, you ought to do that. Jesus does not look at our past, friends. Look at the way he goes through his life when he's picking disciples or living life. Um, who, who looks at the past? Who keeps talking about the past? It's the Pharisees, it's the religious leaders, it's the people uh, that are self-righteous. And they're telling Jesus about people's histories. Hey, do, uh, do, you, do you know the history of these, uh, of these tax gatherers and drunkards that you're hanging around with? Mm, I didn't ask. No. If, if Jesus, if you knew, 
the history of that woman that's touching you right now, you probably wouldn't want her to do that. Uh, didn't ask. Because, see, Jesus is, looks at the future. <laughs> hey, I mean, look, look, look at his recruiting strategy. He comes up to people and he says this. Come and follow me. That's it. Come and follow me. You say no, stay here. You can be a tax collector for the rest of your life. You say yes, strap in. We're going to go places. <laughs> You're going to fly, little caterpillar. <laughs> the future is more powerful than your past in God's economy. You're orange-grabbing caterpillars. You are meant to eat oranges. You are meant to fly. Here's the application. Here's what, here's what he's trying to do. Everything, everything you see on this planet is going to be destroyed. It's all temporal. Okay? Word of God, some music, the souls of men. That's what makes it after the crash. And because of that, Paul's saying you need to live a holy life. It's going to be against the grain, constantly against the grain. It's supposed to be because we're not from here. So who could do it? Who can fight off the temptations of the culture? Who can swim upstream their whole life? Only those who have this uncommon attitude, this uncommon attitude about leaving behind their history and striving for the future, looking up, looking up with others, right? Running with platoon with an uncommon attitude. It's only those that that can see, right, this greater thing. They know there's an expense for following Christ, but it's nothing compared to the cost of not following Christ. It's only those that believe their citizenship, right, is in heaven, not on earth. And, and so they're, they're looking up. They're looking up at the unseen things. You, we read our Bibles to be able to see what Jesus is like, you know, through a veil, we want to hear his voice in our readings, right? Because the, the goal, ultimately, if you can visualize this, the goal is to be running into the open arms of him. That's heaven. It's a place, yes, but it is a person. And we want to have gone on our maneuvers and lived in a foreign country and served our call of duty and be greeted with, well done, my good and faithful service, servant. And we, wanted to, we want to be held. We want to be grabbed by our Father. Look at this picture. We've seen it before. Look at the power of the Father's hands. If you can't see it in any other context of a little boy or a little girl racing, right, maybe on Easter, some little race, and the, the Father's at the end of this thing. And he's like, here's the point. He gives you grace to run, but look at him. Look up. Look at him. And when you fall down, he gives you grace to get up. Get up, get up, get up. He gives you grace. You have to look up. Don't look behind you. No one runs forward and looks behind. Leave it behind. He doesn't care. Get up. Get up. Look up. Run. Because it is all worth it when you're greeted on that day. That's the prize you're striving for. That's why Paul says, this is how you should live and why. For that greeting, for that grasp, for that hug, look up. That's hope. That's how to live. Let's pray.
Are your heart, is your heart like set on things above? Is your mind on things above? Are you, are you, are you looking at things that are unseen or just the things that are around us that are the SS planet Earth? Look up, look up. Okay, here, let's do this. Imagine your passport. Now you imagine, you know, home of origin, it says heaven. And it says you belong to him. It's already been achieved. And it's signed Jesus Christ in his blood. You know that to be true. That is where you're going now. Look up. Look at him. What are you afraid of? What has defined you? Your success that makes you pride, proud? Your failures that keep you down? Leave them. Now look up. Look. Strive. Look into the eyes of Jesus. Listen for the voice of God. And run in such a way as to win. Lord Jesus, I would ask that you would give us this hope. That you would give us such a vivid picture of what the hope is. With this this better place, a better king, a better promise. And that that would keep us. That would keep us alert. Keep us running. Keep us from temptation. Keep us bold. Keep us excited. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about Grace, visit our website at grace360.org.